This is Decentralized Radio. I'm Tristan. And I'm Ryan. The goal of this podcast is to help educate you on how to live your most optimal life. We will host industry expert guests to shed light on topics that matter. We are not gurus, rather two individuals who have had to pave their own path to health and vitality independent of the centralized systems that plague modern society. The modern medical system has failed patients, and today's guest, Annie Schoonover, is working on a solution with Bitcoin called CrowdHealth. We're going to be discussing the issues with the current medical system, the insurance system, and how this Bitcoin alternative may be your savior. Let's dive in. All right. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Decentralized Radio. Today, we have Andy Schoonover from CrowdHealth on the line. Andy, how's it going? I'm doing well. How are you guys? Good, good. Ryan, how are you doing today? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. I'm excited. Let's get, uh, let's, I'm, I'm excited to bash insurance systems. Let's go. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, this is a topic that's really fascinating. Um, Andy and I, we haven't connected too much, but I've talked a lot with John Gordon, who works for CrowdHealth as well. So, Crowd health is, is kind of this intersection of, of decentralized healthcare and Bitcoin, which is pretty awesome. So we're going to get into that. But first, I'm curious, Andy, kind of what's your backstory? How did you find out the importance of doing something mm-hmm. like crowd health? Like, obviously, there's so many issues with our centralized healthcare system that I think anybody is aware of. But there's not a lot of people really building solutions like you are. So I'm curious, did you have your own health issues that was kind of the inflection point for, for starting all this? Or, or how did you really get motivated to start building a solution? Yeah, I mean, I think you'll, you'll find in many cases that the starting of companies oftentimes is a result of a bad experience. And, and that's what we had. So um, I sold my previous company and didn't uh, didn't have health insurance because most of us get health insurance through to our company. Um, and so I went on to healthcare.gov. I thought it was my only option. And, you know, it was 1200 bucks a month for me, my wife and my two girls. And I kind of joke it worked until I had to use it. <laughs> My, my little one, who was one at the time, was having recurring ear infections. And so went to the ear, nose, and throat doctor who said that she had a, a hole in her eardrum, um, a perforated eardrum is the medical term. And so he's like, she's got to get tubes in her ears. You know, this is a pretty regular thing. You know, I, I think it's something like 20% of kids or something like that get tubes in their ears. So this is not a, um, you know, a rare occurrence. So we went and got Tubes in her ears was a 15 minute procedure and got the bill and it was $8,000 for 15 minutes. I was just like, holy crap, 8,000 bucks for 15 minutes. Um, I was like, this is what health insurance is for. Like, this is the whole point of, of having health insurance. Little did I know I got a, a note in the mail a few weeks later. Um, and it said that the, the insurance plan said it was medically unnecessary. And so they weren't going to pay for it. And so I went through like three rounds of, of kind of protest with the insurance company and they still refused to pay for it. So I had to stroke an $8,000 check to the local hospital. I was like, man, like this just ain't right. You know, I'm paying 1200 bucks a month and, you know, they refuse to pay for something that is, was so clearly a necessity. And I, in fact, my ear, nose and throat doc delayed his vacation by a day because he was so worried about her long-term hearing. That's how medically necessary it was. Um, so anyway, I, I called the health insurance plan. I said, look, I quit. You know, if, if you, if you're not going to pay my bills, I'm not going to pay your bills. And, um, my family has been uninsured now for over three years for maybe, maybe even three and a half years. And so we kind of said, okay, what do we need to viably operate outside of having health insurance? And we, started, you know, researching and putting together some tools. And at some point we were like, I bet you other people would like this, you know, other people would, would benefit from this. And so, um, we started crowd health a couple years ago. We launched in October of, of 21 and, um, yeah, now we have, you know, approaching 4,000 members who have signed up with us and we're, we're rocking and rolling. So it's been a great, a great run. That's an amazing story. I mean, I first heard of Crowd Health from Tristan actually, okay. and this must have been probably last September October because we were on a hike 
and I was talking about how bad my current health insurance was at the time. I just turned 26, sort of the May of that year. Mm-hmm. So May of last year, 22. And I was on my family insurance forever. Uh, Intermountain or no, uh, United Healthcare or something like that. My dad works for GE. So he had pretty good, pretty good healthcare. And so I never really thought about how bad I guess healthcare could be not ever having to have had pay for it or any of that stuff. And I got into the exchange much like you did. And I got this really, really, really bad insurance, <laughs> but it was, it was, it, it fit the bill for me. Thank you, it was, Obamacare, right? It was, it was hella cheap. So that was, that was the, that was the antithesis for my, my choice. And also it was the only insurance I could use that allowed me to see my out-of-state neurologist. Mm. Um, it was the only sort of PPO plan that existed. The rest were all in-state plans. And so I kind of got screwed into the one plan anyways, even though it was decently cost-effective. Definitely wasn't paying 1200 a month. But uh, when I was looking into plans this year, there were lots of plans like that. So I definitely relate to seeing the high cost of plans. But um, I was talking to him about CrowdHealth, or he talked to me about CrowdHealth, and I thought the idea of having something that, as well, I'm sure I'll ask you in a minute about how it works and how you set it up and so other hurdles along the way. But it, it sounded like a really good idea. It sounded more of like a, a community idea rather than just having a plan. And I really like that aspect. We talk about that a lot on the podcast. But your story with the ears, nose, and a throat doctor sounds very similar to something I just went through recently where last summer on my old insurance, I had to go to an unexpected sort of ER visit for an infection that sort of came out of nowhere and I was going on a trip. And so I didn't feel like I had time, stupid mistake, very naive on my end. I didn't feel like I had time to go and wait to go to my normal GP. I don't think I would have gotten in very quickly. So I went to literally the ER. And so I knew the bill was going to be steep, figured insurance would pay a little bit of it, but it's amazing the charges you will get from a doctor's visit to the hospital that make absolutely no sense. So I got my generic charge of, I think it was like 500 bucks or something like that for what I thought was like the ER visit. So paid that, whatever, just going to pay it. And then a year later, a year and a half later, this past, it was like this year, like January or February, I got another bill from the hospital for a thousand dollars. That was purely for sitting basically between the waiting room and in the doctor's room, of which I spent a total time of maybe 30 minutes, 15 minutes waiting. It was four in the morning. So I got there. No one was there. 15 minutes waiting and 15 minutes sitting, having the doctor tell me like, oh, you need this antibiotic or whatever. That was it. That's a thousand bucks. And so I did the whole sort of dispute thing. I got it down like a couple hundred bucks after basically calling and asking, hey, can you give me the breakdown of every single charge of this so that yeah. I can be, and that actually helped me out. So I saved a couple hundred bucks there, but it taught me a very valuable lesson. And I've learned this time and time again through my own healing journey of just how broken our, our system is. And we talk a lot about how broken the medical system is, but the insurance system sort of layers on top of that as being a culprit for creating a lot of this brokenness too. And it's mm-hmm. kind of throughout all insurances, whether it's car insurance or health insurance, it's really, really interesting. So I sort of wanted to ask you, obviously, there's this need for, I think, alternatives to the modern insurance system. How did you sort of come about the way you've structured things and how have you structured things to be more fair and maybe a better a better deal for people? Like what is, in a sense, your pitch for people that are unfamiliar? Yeah, sure. I mean, I, I think that one of the core problems is that... Um, there is no free market economics within healthcare. You know, you and I, all of us, we, we, we don't necessarily see the bill right away. Like all, we're, we're just been trained to throw down our insurance card and then we'll get something months or in your case, years later that we then have to deal with. And so it's a bit of a, a high time preference approach to healthcare. You know, it's, it's, let's not deal with it now. Let's deal with it later. Um, and, and, and because most of the time somebody else is paying for our care. Right. And so, and, and we all think we're getting screwed by the system. So what happens when you have a health event? 
right? We, we try to suck as much economics out of that system as possible because we think we're getting screwed by it. Um, and that's, and that ends is what ends up what ha- happens. And so it's like, how do we, how do we create an incentive system where people are actually, you know, uh, incentivized to pay attention to their, to their costs. Um, and so that's where we started because that's what I think is the the fundamental problem. And so I said, Hey, what if we got a bunch of people in a community together who, um, could actually build some community and so you, you're you're not trying to screw a corporation, or a corporation is not trying to screw you. There's actually people behind this, um, you know. And, and to even go further with that, what we've done is is built a Bitcoin community. And I know we'll get into Bitcoin in a little bit, but you know, Bitcoiners are helping each other out with their expenses. And so if you can build this community, and this is we've been doing this for hundreds, if not thousands, of years. All right, if somebody in our community gets hurt, then the rest of us would kind of gather around them to help them out. Like, I think that is a, you know, just a, a we, we, we almost take personal responsibility a little bit for our community members because they're a part of our community. So, you know, back in the day, if somebody got sick and couldn't plow their field, people would, from the community would come over and help them plow their fields so they wouldn't lose their crop. Um, and so I, I think that is, you know, one of the things I, I love about the Bitcoin community in that, in that sense is, you know, we, we push this sovereign individual component, but if we all act as sovereign individuals, we're actually better community members. Um, and that's what is really kind of a cool component of, of what we, what we do. So, um, that's kind of like the 20,000 foot view is like, if we can act as a community, not trying to screw other community members, we will, our behavior will be more in line with, you know, better outcomes. So the tech, the way that mechanically how this works is, you know, instead of you sending a premium to your health insurance plan every month, never to see it again, you know, lost into the abyss of health insurance land, we actually start a, a bank account for you when you when you sign up. And so every month you put money into that bank account, that money then is used to help other people in the community if they have a health event. So let's say, you know, Tristan has a skiing injury and it's, you know, $15,000. You guys are in Utah. So I use skiing. Hopefully that's appropriate. You know, and it's, you know, you, you tear a knee and it's $15,000. And so what we do is say, Hey, Tristan, you pay the first 500 and then we'll go to the community and, you know, ask, let's just say 145 people for a hundred bucks. I think my math is right there um, to see if they'll help Tristan with that knee, knee injury. And so, you know, if we go to one person and they say, yep, great. Then we go to the next person, the next person. And that money goes from their account to Tristan's account. So Tristan then has that $14,500 in his account that he can pay at the point of care for his knee surgery. And so the kind of the disruptive part about this is that he's point, he's actually able to pay at the point of care as opposed to the doctor having to wait three months to get paid and fighting with insurance companies to get paid and having this big administrative uh, infrastructure to get paid by the health insurance plan. And so these doctors are giving us massive discounts um, to pay in cash at the point of care. And that's really what allows our, our model to work is, is our members are just getting, you know, incredible rates. And in fact, for bills, the last stat I looked at for bills above a thousand dollars, our members are getting rates that are about sixty percent better than health insurance. So you're getting sixty percent better pricing than United Healthcare and Aetna and all these big, you know, some of the largest companies on the planet because we are enabling you to pay at the point of care in cash. I mean, that's that's really the the trick here. Um, so we've had, I think I just crowdfunded Bill 5,000. Um, and, you know, they've ranged from, you know, $10 medications to hundreds of thousands of dollars for a brain hemorrhage, a NICU baby, cancer cases. And so far, every one of those bills have gotten paid. So, um, you know, we, we, we say, you know, insurance plans come and say, hey, we, we promise we'll pay your bills. Yet, if you go on healthcare.gov, almost 20% of the, the claims at healthcare.gov are denied. So that's one out of five. You have a one out of five chance 
of getting your claim denied. And if it's a, you know, Tristan and his $15,000, you know, knee surgery, you're SOL if you're one out of the five, right? I unfortunately was one out of the five and it cost me $8,000. Whereas Crowd Health is on bill 5,000 plus, And we can't promise that bills will get paid because if we do, we're in health insurance. But so far, every bill has has gotten paid through this structure. So um, I'm sure I left out some things there and just how the mechanics works, but it's been just super effective in in how we're we're able to to help people get bills paid. Are you interested in 100% grass-fed, grass-finished bison meat? I'm excited to be a partner with Falls Family Ranches. Based in Wyoming, Falls Family Ranches is raising high-quality bison meat the way nature intended. As a native large ruminant of North America, bison is one of the most nutrient-dense foods you can consume. If you're interested in trying out their bison boxes, use code TRISTAN, T-R-I-S-T-A-N, 10, for 10% off your first order. I think it's incredible, right? It's Well, it's first off, it's incredibly just disturbing and also frustrating of how the current system works with all this. It is kind of just like price gouging each other, right? The hospitals, the insurance customers or companies just price gouging each other and and people don't realize this. And that's why it's so inflated because obviously you get the bill, like, you know, Ryan's saying, and, you know, they're just charging you because they know the hospitals know that they're only going to get a fraction of that. And then the insurance companies, it's like a chicken and the egg situation of, who really is, is going to concede ground and clearly neither of them are. So to me, that was something that was ingenious when I first heard about you guys is that you're going to pay in cash up front because cash flow is, is always a huge concern for something as large as a hospital, um, for example. So my uh, just a quick question is, are you kind of getting that cash discount uh, up front? So say, and let's hope there's no skiing injuries in the next ever <laughs> for me, but say that does happen. Uh, and it is very accurate. I do ski a lot. But, um, you know, say that does happen and I get a $15,000 bill. Are you going to go like negotiate that with cash? Like say, hey, hospital, if we have cash, could we bring this down to 10K and then you go crowd health fund it or Mm -hmm. is it the opposite? Yeah. So we do all the negotiations for you. So we're not asking you to to make that call. I know, Ryan, you said you made that call and you got a couple hundred bucks off. You know, we've got folks who are professionals at doing this and many of which are attorneys. And so if you get a note from an attorney on behalf of Tristan saying you price gouged me. Um, and so I, I, I want the backup for why you think this should be, you know, your, your knee surgery, the, the hospital is going to tell you it's $50,000 and we're going to be able to get it down to, you know, 10 or 15. Um, but we do all that negotiation on the back end. That's a part of your, your service as a crowd health member. Um, in, in terms of emergencies, so oftentimes if you have a knee injury and you're going to have to go and get it, a surgery on that, there's a week or two between the time you actually have the injury and have the surgery. And so during that week or two, we're negotiating a price for you. Um, we're finding you a great doctor, all those kinds of things. For an emergency, you actually don't get the bills until after the fact, like Ryan just mentioned, sometimes way after the fact. Um, so what we'll do is we'll say, Hey, send all those bills to us. And first we're going to make sure that they're accurate. Like, so they're not putting anything on there that Ryan didn't actually get at the emergency room because oftentimes they up, you know, what's called is up billing or up coding, meaning that they charge you for things that are better for reimbursement than what you actually got. And so we'll look at that for you and then we'll call the hospital. Same thing. We'll say, Hey, there's no way that, you know, Ryan being in the ER for an hour or whatever it was should be, you know, 1200 bucks or, you know, and so we'll, we'll negotiate with them on, on that and we'll negotiate that down and then we'll go out and crowdfund it. Then Ryan will have the money then to pay for that, that ER bill, that negotiated rate. So we do all that on the back end so that you don't have to deal with it. It's, it's kind of, weird negotiating with a doctor who's providing you care. And so we, we do that for you. I'd say the only other thing is for the small bills, if you're going to like a primary care doctor or something like that, or a uh, pediatrics or OBGYN, we just say, Hey, tell them at the checkout that you're paying in cash. 
And oftentimes they'll give you 30 or 40% discount right there. Um, and so that's, that's just an easy way. And that's not a negotiation. It's just like, Hey, I'm, can you give me your cash pay rate? I'm paying in cash. It's super easy and, and they'll give you good rates. That's actually super interesting. I didn't know that. I'll have to remember that in the back of my mind next time I go in because I can't tell you. Actually, I've, I've been pretty lucky recently where for some reason I keep getting, it's probably because I do get a little coverage on some visits or whatever, but I've been getting like reimbursements from some stuff. So that kind of cushions the blow. But I think what's important for this, and this is sort of leading into my next question, just from more of a chronic illness standpoint, just out of curiosity, because we're talking a lot about injury and and sudden high mm-hmm. high bills, which definitely is probably, I mean, it's definitely a really good reason to sort of look into this sort of uh, this sort of angle for insurance coverage because there are things that just happen. You get in an accident, you fall down the stairs, you do some stupid playing basketball, or you fall, you know, at the climbing gym and land on your ankle, like I did the other day, and luckily I'm okay. <laughs> but um, just just stupid things happen all the time, and I think this is where these can be valuable. I think where some people, I mean, the 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 biggest issue I have with insurance definitely is all the things we just sort of talked about, but it's it's also set up really poorly for people that have chronic health conditions, whether that be even diabetes or autoimmune disease or anything that requires systemic care. And in my opinion, and Tristan's opinion too, we've talked about this a lot, the best sort of offense is a good defense by setting up your body for success. And that's you know a lot of steps. And I think there's a lot of healing that can be done there. But I think people might be abrasive to checking out something like crowd health when they're already in that system of reliance and sort of where would be the benefit for somebody in in that state of health? Um, because I'm sure there is, uh, but it, I definitely feel like those people are, are more hesitant to things just because of they're already serving that fear factor. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so there's a lot there. So if I miss miss a part of your question, come back to me on it. You're but, good. Um, you know, a couple of things. One is um, our members are on average in their mid thirties, 34 was the last time I checked. Um, BMI was, I think about five points lower than the national average. Um, and so we have a community of people who I use the, the ski injury kind of, you know, just to be funny, but it, I mean, most of our, our, our crowdfunding events or a lot are, uh, active injuries. It's a lot of knee injuries. It's a lot of, you know, mountain bike face plants. It's, you know, a lot of, a lot of those things and and those can be bad, but you know, the good news about those are they're not massive. You know, they are, you know, in the grand scheme of things, they're not, they're 15, $20,000 injuries most of the time, um, which is massive for an individual, but not massive for us to go and crowdfund. Um, we have had five cancer cases and as I mentioned, a NICU baby and a brain hemorrhage and things like that. So we, we do have, have some, some illnesses, but we've been able to, to, to solve those, you know, pretty well too. Um, you know, the way that we work on, on chronic conditions, well, I, I said that all that to say is we've got a, a really healthy community and therefore the costs of the community are really low between our ability to negotiate prices and the health status of the community are, are, it's just, we're, we're crowdfunding on average. I think this month will be like 40 bucks per person this month for crowdfunding. Like, you know, you multiply that by 12, that's under $500, um, you know, on, on average, which is just incredibly low. Um, all that to say is we try to keep the rates, you know, the, the crowdfunding low, um, because the people who have chronic conditions, the way that we do this is saying, Hey, you know, if you're going to join the community, you need to have some skin in the game here too, you know, before you can just offload your expenses to everybody else, like you got to own a part of that. Um, and so we ask them to own their chronic condition for two years. Um, and so, you know, some people will say, Oh, well, that's impossible for me to, you know, to do. And I, I get that, like, it's not for everybody. And, you know, in fact, what we're trying to do is build a generation of people in their thirties and forties so that in their sixties, seventies and eighties, they will be significantly healthier. Right. And so this is a long game for us. 
you know, we're trying to be, get people to eat, you know, more healthy foods. We can talk about that. I know that you guys are, you know, passionate about that too. So, you know, we're, we're trying to bend the curve over the next few decades. And I, I just don't think it's, you know, there's some moral hazard in this that we're trying to steer away from. Like, hey, I'm not going to pay for anybody else's healthcare expenses until I get sick. And then I'm going to jump into this community and I'm going to expect them to pay for all my healthcare expenses. That's just not fair. Um, but it also sucks for people who have, you know, long-term chronic conditions because it may, may not be right for you. Um, we had a month ago, I think, actually I've, I've heard of two in the last couple of months of people with type one diabetes who have joined us and, you know, they did the math and they said, Hey, I could go on healthcare.gov and pay a thousand dollars a month, or I could go to crowd health and I could pay 175 bucks a month. And I'm, you know, I'm saving 10 grand a year, not to mention my deductible, and so I actually can get insulin, all my supplies for, you know, significantly less if I pay for them in cash. And therefore, I'm actually saving money by going to crowd health um, as opposed to having having health insurance. We've got lots of people with, you know, hypertension and, and, and you know, things like that, that they're like, yeah, you know, I can get my meds for. 10 bucks a month and sure crowd health won't crowdfund that for me, but like I'm saving all this money. So, you know, why not pay $10 a month for my meds? Cause we give people access to low cost meds and things like that. We give them all of our tools so they can take advantage of some of those things. And so it's, it's not for everybody. And I wish I could figure out a way to make it for, you know, some guy reached out the other day who's, who's, you know, baby, I think it was like a two year old or something who, who was born with a, a chronic condition and, you know, they're struggling. And I was like, man, my heart wants to help. You know, I'm just, I'm trying to figure out a way to, to do that. That's, you know, fair. Um, and so we're, we're working through that and it might be a nonprofit or something where people can, you know, give if they'd like, but, you know, don't feel obligated to, to do that. Um, we're still working through that. So it's a hard, hard thing to, to kind of navigate. Yeah, I think there's a reality that kind of has to set in for people. Because, I mean, for us in general, right? Like, here's the overarching issue right now with centralized healthcare is, you know, if you're mid-20s, mid-30s, or whatever, even 40s and healthy, like, you don't have chronic conditions, really, like you said, you're only going to have, you know, emergency injuries or maybe like your annual checkup, your blood work and stuff that you really need from the healthcare system. So why should you pay more and why should the taxpayer pay more for all of these other people who haven't put in that proof of work to actually have their health in a much better place? And yeah, it's, you know, you want to help people out, of course. So I think, I think it's great, right? Because obviously you need to start somewhere and the way the model works is, is kind of like you're saying, you, you need to have that proof of work, that low time preference as well. It just ties in very well with like all the values in order to have this make sense. And that's something that's just a reality. And here in the US, we just have this facade of like healthcare. I think that everyone should have free healthcare. And you look at like, you know, then you look at Canada and the UK and other places where you're just waiting so long to get care. And even yeah, like totally. a country like Canada is like way healthier on average than the US. So I, I can't even imagine. Like it just doesn't work, right? It's too big of a country, too many people with chronic conditions as much as we would love to help each other out, it just doesn't work. And, you know, there are actually other countries who do value like health and uh, metrics that track that and bake that into their health insurance. I think Japan has like a waistline policy where all their, all the health insurance is paid by employers. But like, if your employees have over like a 34 inch waistline line for, for men, they pay a premium where they pay like additionally. So it's kind of incentivizing them. And I was going to ask you, you know, how do you incentivize that in, in crowd health? But it seems like you already have that. It's just baked into the, you know, the principle of the actual mission itself, which is fantastic because, yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, 
you shouldn't really need health insurance um, aside from emergency yeah. care. And that's actually where we're really good. You know, we're actually pretty good at, at emergency care ER work in, you know, the Western world. Everything else, yeah, it's, it's, it's not so great. So I'm curious um, then as well, um, is there like education uh, being built around this? Do you have like a roadmap of how to continuously educate um, the members of crowd health and keep them on that track? And if you do have people, you know, there's got to be a spectrum of, you know, how healthy everybody is. So how do you keep that ball rolling in the positive direction uh, with your members? Yeah. So, you know, there's only two reasons why we won't accept people to the community. One is if you're a smoker. Two is if you are, um, I think our latest one was 240. So if you're over 240, you can't join. Um, you know, obesity, that's just pounds, just weight. pounds. Yeah. Okay. Pounds. Um, and, and, you know, obesity, I think is one that, you know, people are afraid to talk about because they think they're going to get canceled. And I think, um, you know, some, some folks, I, I, I saw something the other day, I think it was on clip from 60 minutes where they're now calling obesity a disease, you know, and it's like, no, 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 this is, this is a lifestyle choice. It's and genetics. If, it's genetics. <laughs> it's genetics, right? It's genetics. It has nothing to do with what you eat. Um, you know, and, and you know, doctors don't get nutritional information in medical school. There's, there's, I, I looked at the, the Harvard medical school, um, list of classes and there's nothing on, there's one on nutrition and it's all about how to cook plant-based meals. Um, and so, you know, they're, they're not getting any education on nutrition. Um, and nutrition is, is so influenced by large stakeholders who don't actually have nutrition as their number one, you know, goal it's to sell their crap. Um, you know, and so, you know, the American Heart Association, the American Diabetes Association, all these big associations are in bed with pharma and big food and, and all these kinds of things. And so, you know, I think if we can fix people's nutrition, we will eliminate probably 80% or more of the chronic conditions that we're seeing when people are in their, you know, 60s, 70s, and 80s. I mean, it, I think number one killer is is uh, heart disease. It's, I, th I think personally, this is my personal um you know, feeling it's because we eat so much, you know, we, we, we followed the food pyramid for the last 50 years. And the outcome of that is people are dying from heart disease. It's literally killing people. Um, and we have had a, um, war on, you know, red meat where from my perspective, again, it is, that's what we should be eating. Um, that is a much more nutrient dense, you know, food yet, we are being told that, that that causes heart disease. And so you've got all these things that are, are keeping us from being able to, you know, over a long period of time, bend the cost curve down. Um, you know, what we're trying to do is we're trying to educate some people on this. You know, we actually are, you know, we have, we give away stuff like books. Um, the last one we gave away was um, by a guy named Peter Atia. He's a doctor who's focused on longevity He's got a new book out called uh, Outlive, and it's, you know, a, a comprehensive look at all the studies out there about, you know, w what actually contributes to us living longer, you know, and, and he is unbiased in his opinions um, and, you know, not influenced by big pharma or big food or anything like that. Um, and so, I, you know, I think the conclusions of that is that we have to be focused on metabolic health. And so we're trying to educate our members on like, what is metabolic health? What impacts metabolic health? What are the metrics to look for in, in metabolic health? Um, this summer, we're actually going to allow people to um, make DEXA scans uh, fundable by the crowd. So for people who don't know, DEXA scans are ba basically a body composition scan that can tell you lean muscle mass and, and fat, um, you know, percentage of body weight that's fat. And that will give you a pretty good baseline for, you know, where you start. Um, we're going to also this summer be paying for um, oral glucose tolerance tests, which basically says, are you insulin resistant? Um, because insulin is the canary in the coal mine for heart disease. And so these are not things that you're going to get from your insurance plan. You know, these are things that we're trying to incentivize people to do because we think it 
allows them to have the information to make better choices in their nutrition that ultimately will lead to better long-term health. And so that's how we're trying to incentivize people. We're not doing any of these stupid, like take 20, 10,000 steps a day or something stuff, you know, it's, it, it's goofy to me um, and it doesn't have any impact. And so I was like, how can we help people understand what's going on with their body that has the most impact and incentivizes them to actually make some behavior changes? So that's, that's what we're trying to do. No, that's awesome. I mean, uh, we, we talk about this a lot, but it's like all goes back to education. The more informed you are as a consumer, the more informed you are about your own health, I think the better decisions you're going to make for yourself. I see this in my parents, actually, because um, over over my timing, I've just, I just kind of do rants around the house when I'm over. And so they just <laughs> sort of offhand catch all of my information. Yesterday, I was like going off about melanin. But uh, they sort of secondhand hear these things. And now my mom will be texting me like, saying like, Hey, I'm doing this and this and this now, because you said this and this and this because of that. And so I think things kind of rub off on people when you get them to understand the benefit. And I think for the most part, when it comes to health, so many things are actually accessible. I just think people are afraid of one to get started Two, they overwhelm themselves. And so you sort of have to start on a very basic level, like you're talking about just the basics of eating whole foods and all this stuff is a great place to start, I think, for a lot of people. But just letting them know that, hey, maybe you can save like a significant amount of money on medical bills if you just change how you eat and maybe how you move. I mean, not to say that that's the end all be all, but there's so many nuances, but I think that gets the ball rolling. And so that's why I think that's a really cool thing that you're doing with your community uh, on the incentive side, because I think that's what creates long-term change and sort of going back to the idea of how do you approach someone that has maybe uh, a more, more uh, I guess, stressful, but chronic condition is sort of mm-hmm. giving them the same information because so many people with chronic conditions, I would say 90% or more, maybe I'm being too generous, but 90% or more chronic conditions are completely environmentally driven. It's the food we eat, the way we live, the stress we put on ourselves, yeah, um, all these things, lifestyle. And they're all things mm-hmm. that I think even in the most um, strenuous nine to five can actually have some headway made on as long as you make that a commitment. And so for me, it's about really getting people to understand that what you make a priority is what you're going to get out of whatever you make a priority out of. If you make that... Mm-hmm going to the gym. I always say like, people will always say like, oh, I don't got time to go to the gym. I'm so busy. No, you have time. You just have to make that time happen. Goes for everything in life. So I think it's a, it's a really good way to start with people. I sort of want to shift this a little bit. Maybe sure. Tristan has one more thing to say, but I know Tristan really wants to talk about Bitcoin. I can, I can, feel, I can feel the energy. So maybe I'll just start because I'm sort of a Bitcoin novice. Um, and so I just want to say, where does Bitcoin fit sure. into crowd health and how have you utilized that? Why is it important? I mean, we talk about controlling our currency and stuff like that, but I'd love for you to sort of unpack that for us. Yeah, there's a bit of an evolution here and I'll, I'll kind of tell you where we started and then where we are hopefully going to end up. Um, I was sitting at lunch with uh, Jimmy Song. Most Bitcoiners will know who Jimmy is. He's a thought leader in this space. And um, he's a friend of mine. And so I was kind of telling him about what I was doing. And he's like, you know what, the problem with health insurance is that, you know, you pay your premium every month and those health insurance plans hold it in this big pile, this whole pool of, of fiat dollars, which at the time, I think inflation was like 8% or something like that. And from my perspective, CPI is a terrible um, metric to use. So I think it's higher than 8%. Um, generally. So you got this big pool of dollars, the value of which is going down day by day. And so you have to charge a higher premium to make up for that decay, that decline in in the value of, of the dollar. Um, or as Michael Saylor, I says, think puts it, it's, it's like melting, you know, it's a big pool of melting assets. And so what if you could replace those assets with Bitcoin and not hold it in a centralized pool, but have it in a decentralized. So instead of one big pool of fiat, what if you had 10,000 different people who held Bitcoin 
who would be able to help out if, you know, Tristan, you know, fell skiing and tore his knee up, right? That, so you have a, a, an appreciating asset as opposed to a declining asset, um, you know, being kind of that, that way that other bit, Bitcoiners can, can help each other. And I was like, man, that's kind of interesting. I like that. And so what we first started was, hey, um, you put your money into an account. You pay us our subscription fee. You help Tristan with his knee. Um, and anything else or 75% that's left, we'll shoot that over to Swan Bitcoin for you. And you can hold that in Bitcoin. We're never going to ask for it again. It's yours. It's excess capital. You have it. You put it in your Swan account, and you can. It's almost like a a, a forced in, uh, in you know uh, savings in, in in Bitcoin, and our Bitcoiners love that. Um, second component of that was like, hey, let's put together a Bitcoin community where Bitcoiners can help each other out directly with uh, with their their healthcare expenses. So you know, Bitcoiners don't like screwing other Bitcoiners. It's just a you know countercultural to the Bitcoin community. And so we've had people reach out to us and say, Hey, I don't want to, I don't want to screw the community. Actually, this was our colon cancer case. I don't want to screw the community. Can you help me find, you know, really good doctors, but that are cost effective. And it's like, you would never go to your health insurance plan and be like, Hey, can you find me a really cost effective doctor? Like, you're like, you don't, you know, you don't care. The health insurance plan company's paying for it. And so, you know, that, that worked well for a while. Um, and then as we all know, there has been some kind of regulatory things that have happened over the last six months that the kind of custodial component of that um, made it not perfect for us because our biggest customer base is in uh, Texas, uh, New York, you know, places like that, big states. And um, the custodian for for Swan was having trouble in those states, so it just didn't work out. It just doesn't work for us anymore. So ultimately, what we're going to do is twofold. One is we're going to give that money back to our Bitcoiners so that they can go and invest in Bitcoin wherever they want, whether it's Swan or Unchained or whatever. You know, you get that money back. You can hold that in Bitcoin. We're going to it's your money. You you get it back. You can do whatever you want. So that's first component. Second component is um, we want to build a totally parallel health system um, built on Lightning. So um, when you all pay your membership fee, you'll pay it to us over the Lightning network. When you help each other, it will be peer to peer. You know, Ryan will pay Tristan directly in over Lightning in Bitcoin. Um, and then ultimately what we want to do is, is have that being able to be pay the doctor in Bitcoin. So we're building a group of doctors who will accept Bitcoin. We're putting that into a database so that you actually can go to a doctor who accepts Bitcoin. So the thought here, the theory is that if we can go end to end Bitcoin without having to do any on ramps, off ramps, so there's some circularity within the Bitcoin economy um, and healthcare is a $4.6 trillion industry. Like if we can make Bitcoin more pervasive in the payment of your healthcare expenses, I think that goes a long way to help Bitcoin be more widely adopted, you know, across the country generally. Right. And so um, we're doing some things with, with Bitcoin that I think, I, I mean, I think it's the biggest u- use case for Bitcoin ever created healthcare could be because our number two expense behind our rent or a mortgage is typically our healthcare expenses. And so um, I think utilizing Bitcoin in that space will be, you know, I think revolutionary. Um, the other component of this too, is once I have a database of docs who will accept Bitcoin, I think Bitcoiners want to go to docs who think like Bitcoiners, right. That aren't just going to look at the AHA, American Heart Association or American Diabetes Association, these big, huge monster corporations who are influenced by a lot of other stakeholders, they want truth um, uninfluenced by outside parties. And I, I have personally experienced over the last couple of years now interacting with Bitcoin docs, they seek truth. 
Um, and I think they will look at the world differently than typical Western medicine, which solves problems with pharmaceuticals um, or surgeries. And so we're, we're really excited about doing that database. We're, we're, we're going to, that's going to be launched this summer. Um, so doing lots of stuff with Bitcoin and it, it's primarily, it's a good business use case for us. I'm a Bitcoiner, right? So that helps. Um, but it's a great business use case. I think a parallel system based upon Bitcoin will significantly drive down healthcare costs ultimately. So, um, that's what we're doing with Bitcoin. We're super excited about it. That's awesome. Yeah, I totally agree. I think the mindset, yeah, it goes even further beyond that. Cause like you're saying, if, if they have that low time preference mindset, if they have that ability to question the truth and the validity of everything they were taught in medical school, inherently, they're probably going to be a better doctor because they're going to be doing more mm-hmm. research on their own. Um, you know, everything, honestly, everything that's been taught in like medical school the last 50 years, I think, you know, some people could argue that like 50% of it is is not even correct or de- highly garbage or, or just biased. It is really. So I think that in and of itself is extremely valuable. And yeah, I mean, when we launch this show, I'll have to tweet out about it because I know, I mean, I could count a few doctors off the top of my head who just follow me or I'm connected with that would probably take Bitcoin. So we'll definitely have to tell them to DM you so you can build this database. That's that's awesome. And we'd love that. Man, I went I went to the cardiologist. I, I, I tweeted about this. So I'm sorry for the people who've kind of lived this with me already, but I went to the cardiologist like, I don't know, two or three months ago because I was having chest pains. And um, so I, I roll in and, you know, they're like, okay, you know, let's, let's take a look. Oh, you have, you know, high LDL, you know, I, I, I do my, my LDL super high. Um, and he's like, what, tell me about what you're eating. And I'm like, oh, I'm, you know, I'm on a keto diet, you know, primarily. Um, and he's, you know, the first thing he says, well, well, you got to get off of that. He's like, that red meat is inflammatory, um, it's the cause of your high LDL, um, and you are putting yourself at risk of heart attack. And I was at that moment that I was like, we at crowd health need to do a better job of getting people in front of doctors who think for themselves and seek truth. And as, when I asked this guy, who was a good dude, he's like a good guy. I mean, I don't mean to rip on him. He's a, like a, a great, it sounded like a, he felt like a great human, um, I asked him what his source was and he's like, well, you know, we followed the American Heart Association and American College of Cardiology, which are these big, big, huge organizations who have been saying LDL causes heart attacks for 50 years. Right. And so these big organizations don't have the ability to change course because they can't say I've been wrong for 50 years. Right. Like that is just a hard thing to do in human nature. And therefore, we stay on this straight line and don't deviate, even when we have better information, right? And so we need to ditch the kind of recommendations of these big organizations and seek out doctors who seek truth. Um, And that's, I was like, that was the moment I knew. I was like, we need to do a better job of finding great doctors. And I think these Bitcoin doctors are, I think in general, are better doctors than non-Bitcoin doctors from my perspective, but I'm biased. I'm a Bitcoiner. <laughs> no, no, hundred percent agree. Cause like I said, it's like that mindset of, of finding truth, seeking truth. You don't know what you don't know. So when you have this, you know, bias information from medical school and all these, you know, associations, you almost have to like unlearn that and then go find, you know, what's actually out there looking at it from a level uh, that's really objective and it's super challenging, but then they're also like more incentivized, I think personally to be interested in your case, whatever it may be, because, you know, if you're just getting the cookie cutter solution from 95 plus percent of doctors and that's why they do it. They don't even have the time to really go in depth of, of your situation. And, and luckily like most of the folks at crowd health aren't, you know, at that chronic level, but you know, when you get older and things do develop potentially, like that's really important. You want to have someone who's actually going to treat you like a unique case because everyone's biology and environment and lifestyle is different. So it's not always like, the same answer doesn't exist for everybody. So I think that's awesome. I mean, yeah, if you are a doctor listening to this and you uh, value Bitcoin, please reach out to Andy. Um, yeah, for sure. But a question I, now I mean, for I, the- I met, 
real quick. I, I met yeah, a guy yeah. at Bitcoin conference in Miami last week and uh, he has Crohn's disease and Crohn's can be debilitating, you know, and it can be really, really expensive. Tens, if not hundreds of thousands of dollars. And I was, so I asked him, I was like, so how did you, and he's totally fine now. He's like, how did you beat it? I was like, I just do keto. He's like, I just, I just don't, I don't eat carbs. And it like totally knocks my Crohn's out. And, uh, and so instead of tens of thousands of dollars of pharmaceuticals getting, you know, shot into your body, he is on keto and, um, super healthy. You know, it's just like, man, nutrition food can be the best medicine. Um, and we just ignore that in our culture, unfortunately. So we could well, go on for another hour on that topic yeah, alone, yeah. but it was just like one of those things where it's like, man, I wish people would, you know, think a little bit differently and get unprogrammed from the 50 years of the food pyramid. Well, it's all, it all comes back to fiat money, right? Andy, at the end of the day, totally. you know, we're talking about price gouging. We're talking about no one's conceding ground. Everyone's just charging more. They have to make more money. It's a business, right? They have to post gains because they have to beat inflation because the money is broken. Like at the end of the day, it's this cycle. And that's why no one talks about health care solutions that are low cost or free. And those are the best ones that exist. And there's, you know, compounds out there that are not patentable, um, that actually are also extremely efficacious that you've never heard about. And they've actually probably been around longer than most drugs that are prescribed because you know they're not patentable and it's just insane mm-hmm. but yeah if you if you touch upon the just the health components of of eating better food moving more getting outside more getting better sleep like these are low to no cost and those will move the needle far more so it's it's low time preference but it all comes back to money that's why you don't hear about any of this stuff as you know so i'm curious mm-hmm. today you mentioned the switch from like kind of like an HSA Bitcoin to just that's not a part of the the platform at all. Then it's kind of just how does that work now? If I signed up right now, like how would that work? Yeah. So um, starting July 1st, what we're going to do is change up the model a little bit. So, you know, historically what we've done is charged you um, 175 bucks a month. And we would take, you know, fifty dollars of that. One twenty-five would be put into a bank account so that you could help other people. Instead, what we're going to do is say, hey, we're going to actually bill you the fifty dollars for our subscription fee, and then we're only going to to ask you to crowdfund what is needed during that month. Um, and right now, we're averaging around fifty bucks, so we'll charge you fifty bucks for our subscription fee. And then we'll ask you to crowdfund another $50 for, you know, Tristan's, you know, skiing injury. Um, and then the rest of so that remaining 75, if you're an individual, you get to hold on to and do whatever you want. So in essence, what we're doing is we're just significantly reducing your out of pocket per month. And so we think that y'all are smart enough to go and buy Bitcoin or take your significant other out to dinner or, you know, whatever you want to do with it. Um, you can you can do that. Um, so that's kind of phase one. And phase two, which I think is going to happen more towards the fall or end of the year, is we're going to do that introduce lightning um, where we can go, you know, peer total peer to peer over lightning. And that's that's ultimately what we'll be doing with our our Bitcoin community. No, that's 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 actually really uh, optimistic in in my point of view. I sort of one of the questions that I mean comes up too with with any sort of decentralized idea, like whether it's in ag or, or whatever, sort of the scalability and sort of the long-term long-term view. I mean, I'm sure mm-hmm. as an idea like this kind of gains popularity, there's there's a lot of potential. And I'm sure there's lots of things that will come up that we haven't even thought of yet as far as direction. But sort of like, what are your guys' plans for scalability? And sort of where do you see... I don't know if industry is the right, right word, but like where do you see this like sect of the healthcare industry growing? Because I see it as a very, very um, tantalizing alternative to sort of the the standard status quo. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that our, um, our market right now, if you just look at people who don't get health insurance through their existing employer, if they are uninsured, if they are going to healthcare.gov, we think that's about 70 million people in the United States. And then there's another group of people that think that 
the health insurance plan that their um, employer is giving them sucks. And so they're looking for alternatives. And in, in fact, 20% of our customer base um, actually opted out of their corporate health insurance to use crowd health. Um, and so, you know, what we've seen to, to have any, you know, lasting impact, you, you need to kind of have 25% of the population be, be a market for your product and just kind of studies have shown that. And so we think we've got that 25%. Um, and so ultimately what we're trying to do is get all those people uninsured, going to healthcare.gov, you know, signed on. Um, and then we're trying to peel people off of, of their corporate health insurance. Um, we, you know, we, we kind of have used the term opt out of, of health insurance for, for corporations, because in essence, what you're doing is you are being enslaved to your corporation for your health. Like, we just think that that's not right. There's a recent study that came out that said two to 4 million Americans would go do something entrepreneurial if they didn't have to rely upon their corporation for health insurance. You know, I'm like, that's un-American that people aren't going and starting companies because they're so worried about the the cost of their their healthcare. And I think crowd health gives those people a, a, a really affordable alternative. So my dream is that you know more people are yeah more people are uninsured. Um, it's kind of a countercultural you know thing, but I think less people should be insured as opposed to more people should be insured. So. Um, we're not really going after corporations. Um, we just, it's kind of a moral thing for us. It's corporations shouldn't be paying for your healthcare. So, you know, we're really focused on, on the people who are willing to break away and opt out of their, their corporate health insurance to, to join crowd health. So we think the company could be hundreds of thousands of members over the next three to four years. Um, and the bigger you, you get, the more people who can contribute to your health event, the more effective we become. And so, you know, it scales really, really well. Um, you know, our operation things that we, we need to scale are, are our negotiations. We've outsourced our negotiations to a kind of a quasi law firm already. Um, so they, that's them, them scaling. Um, the pre-negotiations, we've got a group of partners who can all scale and then internally, we have a care advocacy group where if you have any kind of health issues, you you have someone internally that's your care advocate that you can talk to um, every time you call in. You know, one of the things I hate about hated about health insurance is you would call in, you would talk to a big call center person. They may not even be in the United States. You may not even be able to understand them. They probably won't help you. They're going to kick you to somebody else where you have to tell them about your health event again. And it's like, this sucks. Like, I just want to talk to somebody. They get to know me. They get to know who I am. They can walk me through the entire process. I'm not talking to somebody different every single time. And so that care advocacy group is the one that we have to scale, you know, internally effectively. And, um, and we think we can do that. So um, we think that was a long winded way of saying uh, we're, we feel like this is a pretty scalable business model. No, I mean, that's awesome because I, the way I sort of think of the current model, especially as as people talk, especially about more socialized healthcare or whatever you want to call it, it, it doesn't seem sustainable in a population that is becoming ever sicker. So I think really like a lot of stuff rides on the educational aspect of making mm-hmm. the population healthier um, in any form because you can't, sick people just frankly can't support other sick people. It just, the whole system breaks down. And I think we sort of see it on like the, on the, like a foreshadow of the future, just the way we're, we're set up. I mean, we had a podcast drop yesterday with uh, Mitch Dumkey, who uh, is in regenerative farming, but he had a really good quote talking about how, I can't remember when it was, but we've pretty much flip-flopped the amount of money we spend on food for healthcare. Um, And it's completely devastated. Uh, not only us financially, but we're feeding ourselves with crap because either we're not educated enough to know what food we should be eating or we're afraid it's too expensive, which is a debatable argument um, anyways. And so I think there's a lot of factors, but I really liked uh, like that this discussion today. I think it was really, really mind-bending and, and mind-opening too. Yeah, I, th- I think... Crowd health and and just gonna wrap it up here because I gotta jump off unfortunately. But you know, community 
matters. I think that's something that's kind of a theme that's been building on this, on this podcast. Um, obviously low time preference matters and it's crazy because yeah, like Ryan and I talked about this, like, you know, nine months ago and it really is one of the biggest hurdles for entrepreneurs, for people who are afraid or they want to leave their corporate job or what have you. Medical insurance is, is always one of the concerns. Oh, I want a homestead. And, you know, but what about health insurance? And for a while, you know, like the Joel Salatins of the world, just telling people, oh, just get a really high deductible plan, like kind of like emergencies only. And that's like, you know, it's okay. But then you're still at this risk level that's a bit uncomfortable, I would say. Um, so now we actually have a solution in crowd health that's so awesome and, you know, you obviously value Bitcoin and, and everything and, and you're giving people that option. But it's really coming back to that foundation of, of community, which has been so lost in modern society. And I think that's the most powerful aspect of it. So I'm really excited to see this grow and any way we can help out, like I said, but tell people where they can find CrowdHealth, where they can find you, how they can sign up, how they can get rolling. Yeah. Yeah, join Crowd Health is our website. Um, you can use uh, promo code if you're a Bitcoiner, Bitcoin, um, and that will put you into the Bitcoin community. Um, join Crowd Health on Twitter. Um, Schoonover Andy is my Twitter handle. So would love people to, to follow us over there. That's where we're most active. Um, so yeah, would love for anybody who's interested to, to, to join us. Um, happy to have a you know fifteen minute call with with anybody who is is uh, interested and has questions. We got some awesome folks who can who can talk to you on that. So, yeah, it's it's different, but it's working, and we're just so appreciative of all of our members. And um, yeah, thank you guys for having me on. This has been fun. Absolutely, thanks so much, Andy. I appreciate it, and thanks everyone for tuning in to another episode of Decentralized Radio. We'll see you next time. <laughs>